Uh, our scripture reader today is Theo uh, Gerlach. Uh, she's going to be reading Romans 6, 1 through 4. In honor of God's word, please stand. Listen as I read. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the word of the Lord. This is a little bit of a, a, a unique Sunday. So in a couple minutes, uh, we are going to have baptisms, and uh, we're going to do the baptisms at the end of the service, which is not what we have done in the past. And so uh, the rhythm will be a little bit different, but we have three people that are getting baptized, and we're, we're excited about that. Um, I'm going to spend some time uh, talking about this passage from Romans 6 and just what baptism is uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, but I want to talk to you about something before, before we get into the sermon, uh, because uh, I, have, I have some big news uh, for the last six or seven months, uh, our church has been functioning at a single service, um, and so after that window of six or seven months, we, we are moving back to two services on May 22nd, one month from right now. Um, you know, if, uh, if I was racing back through the history uh, of, of our story here as a church, uh, we originally went to two services back in 2016. Uh, it was actually, uh, our first Sunday was June 5th. 2016. That's when we went to two services. And the reason we went to two services was because we had a, an, an attendance pattern through the spring of 2016 that was beginning to create some, uh, some capacity issues. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the stats, but in an in in auditorium, in a public setting, uh, there's a certain capacity that after you pass that, uh, it becomes uncomfortable uh, for people who aren't used to it, who are new to the space. It becomes uncomfortable for them to plug in. Uh, and churches usually monitor that, that, that uh, percentage. So in the spring of 2016, uh, we saw our, our attendance uh, increasing, and we saw the, tra uh, the track record, the, the, the trajectory. And then we had a 281-person Easter in, in, uh, in spring of 2016. And that was just kind of like the confirmation that these conversations about needing to go to two services in an auditorium our size, it was, it was time. So June 5th, 2016, we went to two services, and it was kind of a funny thing. We had been averaging kind of in the mid-200s. Our first Sunday with two services, we had like 305. And then the next Sunday, uh, Lake Ann Camp brought a big chunk of people, and we had 405. And we were like, we're growing 100 people a week. Um, that obviously did not hold. Um, but uh, as we look at this spring uh, tw of 2022, you know, we are seeing a very similar trajectory. We're seeing uh, our, our attendance growing and uh, uh, vibrancy and, and uh, connections and new faces, and we're thrilled about that. Uh, this past Sunday was Easter, and we had almost 400 people uh, here for our Easter services. And so um, after, you know, uh, the, the last six or seven months, it feels like, of winter, you know, in some ways it feels like two years of winter. And, uh, and so as, as the, we experienced a 78-degree day yesterday, it's going to be nice again today, or at least uh, warm, um, you know, we, we're, we're anticipating uh, God's continued work uh, among us. And so uh, on May 22nd, uh, we are going to go to two services. 
Now, I know that for some, in some cases, going to two services might seem a little burdensome. For example, if you lead a ministry and you are thinking about uh, what that might entail to, to run it twice. And I, uh, I would be one who would recognize that one service has been fun. There, there's been some dynamics about having one service that, that, are, that it, it is really fun. But let me say two things about going to two services. Going, going to two services, for, for some, it, it might seem inconvenient, but I would invite you to consider the fact that for other people, it's actually incredibly convenient for their work schedules, uh, for their, uh, their, uh, their, their family schedules. Uh, if, they, uh, if you volunteer in a ministry, uh, going to two services allows you to volunteer at one service and not miss the, miss the worship, worship service, so you can come to the worship service, uh, the, the second service. And so if, if you think, well, isn't that inconvenient or isn't there something that's, that's inconvenient there, just, just remember there's a lot of people that it's actually convenient for, not least of which is the person who's not connected to our church yet. And as I said a second ago, the, the stats are really, really clear that after you cross a certain percentage, it becomes less welcoming for people who are not familiar with the space. And, um, and that's the second thing, you know, the, the mission, uh, the mission that Jesus gave us, you know, the mission to love God, to love people, to make disciples. Um, you know, we think that that mission matters. We think that it's important. And we think that the gospel is really good news. And so if we think that that mission matters, then we think we need to make space. So unless someone uh, wants to write a check for a large auditorium that can be built in like two months, um, we're going to go to two services uh, for, for a season of time. And, uh, and we will uh, we'll, we'll trust God with the opportunities that we have to share the gospel uh, with, with more people. Uh, now, I say this every once in a while, and I want to say it here. Sundays alone are not sufficient. We, we, we want to create space for people to join us on Sundays, but Sundays, they're beautiful. We call them gospel representation. We think that what we talk about here is incredibly beautiful. We think that the gospel really is good news. Uh, but Sundays are not sufficient for your spiritual walk. Uh, you, you need to be plugged into Christian community outside of Sunday. And so our, our, our staff, our team is working every single week uh, to build out our ministries. Uh, so many of our ministries ground to a halt uh, with COVID in March of 2020. And it's taken a lot of work to try to rebuild them. And so uh, as we create space on Sundays, know that we're working to create space in between the Sundays uh, too. So the elephant in the room, uh, additional volunteers. Uh, and if, you're, uh, you know, if, if you call this church home, you may be, uh, that, that may have been the first thing that went through your mind is like, we, we already need volunteers and we're at one service. How are we going to handle volunteer needs uh, for two? So, so let me say a couple thoughts here. Um, first of all, volunteering is down across the country. And so every organization that depends upon volunteers, they're experiencing a shortage. It is, it, there's a volunteer crunch, um, and churches are feeling it for sure. Uh, it makes sense for churches in this regard. Frequency of church attendance is also down. So people are not going to church as often. And if people are in church less then they're going to be less uh, likely and less available to volunteer. And so this, this is a challenge, and we are feeling it, and uh, it's, it's a reality that we're, we're not alone in. It's, it's, uh, it's across, across the nation. And so what I want to say to you, to the Sojourn family, is I want to invite you into healthy rhythms of, of worship and serving. It's an important part of walking with Jesus. Uh, you know, our church often talks about five identities, uh, that that when, when you come to, to life in Christ, he gives you these identities. And, and one of them is the identity of a worshiper. 
And one of the reasons that we have this worship service is to invite you into that posture, to be one who uh, gets to, to turn your attention to, to Christ and the gospel and to do it uh, in, in community with, with other people. Uh, but we're worshipers. And the other one, uh, one of the other ones is, is servants, uh, that we actually believe that Jesus came to serve. He, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And that we look at our life in Christ and we see ourselves as servants. And it's really important uh, over the course of these last 12 years, especially, uh, that we've said, you know, don't think of yourself necessarily as like filling a time slot, just signing up to serve. Like it's your identity. You're, you're a servant. It's like that's, that's how you want to see the world. That's how Jesus invites us to see the world. But obviously, that's going to bubble up. It's going to show up in signing up to help in specific ways. And so as a servant, uh, we serve. And, uh, and so we, we, we need your help. Uh, I want to invite you into the, into the journey of building or rebuilding the habits of regular worship attendance, of regularly uh, volunteering uh, to serve others. It'll take a while. It, 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 in some ways, it's a habit. And habits aren't bad. Habits are beautiful. Habits are, are a good thing. Uh, and we, we can get out of habit. And uh, we kind of need, need to rebuild it. So here are some areas that we uh, have on Sunday mornings in which you, which you can serve. Um, there will be a, a list on the screen here behind me. But the options that um, the, the primary ones are the communion team. Uh, that's the four stations at the end of each service where an individual uh, holds the, the cup and the bread and, uh, and invites you to partake uh, of, the, of the Lord's table. Uh, the hospitality team, that makes up the, the welcome table, greeters, and uh, the, the people that, that make us coffee. And I, I know for some of you how important that is. Um, and so those are areas to serve. Uh, the prayer team, uh, there's uh, prayer, prayer, uh, the prayer teams available at the end of the service during communion if you want someone to talk with. Uh, the safety team. Uh, is, a, is you know, often not even noticed, uh, but they are uh, present and they are uh, taking steps to ensure uh, that our kids are safe, that we as a congregation are safe. They're keeping an eye on things that need to be, uh, need to be kept an eye on. Our tech team is who uh, is sound and, and the, the PowerPoint and the, the video, all of those things. Uh, our worship team, uh, that is not available to anyone. You have to actually be a good musician. Um, <laughs> but but we, 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 need, we need volunteers. So, um, and then a major need is Sojourn Kids. Um, we, are, we are way short uh, on, on Sojourn Kids. And so let me quickly show you, uh, there's needs in every one of these areas, but let me, let me talk about Sojourn Kids specifically. Uh, for, first of all, you know, we offer Sojourn Kids because we think that kids matter to God, and so kids matter to us. Um, I'm, I'm a parent. Uh, all of my kids have graduated out of Sojourn Kids. So none of my kids uh, go, go down there uh, to be part of the ministry. They, they go down there to, to volunteer. Uh, but we offer this ministry, and a lot of you parents, you, you recognize the value and the benefit of, of having your kids learn about Jesus uh, from adults who they actually get to know and who, who love Jesus, to learn about Jesus with other kids uh, from their church. And so we offer it because we think that kids are important, and we think that kids matter, and we think that what happens downstairs, what's happening downstairs right now, is like really important. And it's not, a, it's not just some uh, you know, duty to go down there. It's, it's, uh, it's an incredible opportunity. Our baptisms that we're going to experience here in just a minute, all three of them are kids. And uh, I think it's the youngest average age baptism I've ever done. But it's a beautiful picture of young people uh, experiencing the, the news of the gospel and wanting to respond to that. 
Our kids workers down there, they're faithfully engaging the kids with the good news about Jesus. And so we, we need your help uh, serving down there. Uh, just some stats. Uh, in March of 2020, when COVID hit, we had 98 people uh, on, the, on the Sojourn volunteer list. By August of 2021, we had 27. Now, granted, a lot of things ground to a halt and we weren't offering a whole lot of things, but you can see that's a 71-person loss uh, of volunteers. Uh, As of right now, April of 2022, we're back up to 55. Um, Some of them are on kind of on hold, but they're at least uh, approved and and, uh, and in in the mix as as volunteers. Um, And we need a lot more than 55 in order to to run two services and serve the kids of, of our church. Uh, I've said this many times, but there's more than one option in serving with Sojourn Kids. Uh, some of the options are, uh, require a little bit more prep, a little bit more know-how, um, and some of them are in, like, in the assistant role, and, it, cre- and it's, it requires very low prep. And so if you're at a stage of your life where it's like, I, just, I don't have time to come here with a lesson ready, and, and, or I don't have time to prepare, it, there, there are roles that, that you can just come and be present and actually uh, Show, show the kids of our church that you care about them and that you want them to know uh, who Jesus is. Uh, every volunteer that serves here has a background check and goes through a process of being approved, uh, but we, we need your help. Um, and so, you know, I've said this, you know, like get, get creative. Like maybe moms, like dads, you guys could figure out how to carpool so you can serve at one and, and worship at one. Um, and and you know, your kids, you know, the other parent takes the kids home. Um, I think if you don't have children, it's an incredible opportunity to demonstrate to the families of our church that you think kids matter, that you're not just serving down there because it somehow helps your kids, but you actually see the children of Sojourn as part of your family. You know, we do these things called child dedications, and we have families come up here with their kids, and we ask a bunch of questions of the parents, and then whether you know it or not, we turn to you, and we ask you to stand up, and we ask you a bunch of questions as to whether or not you'll invest in the lives of these young kids, and whether or not you'll be part of the journey of them finding out who who Jesus is. And I think everybody says they will. At least that's what it sounds like, is you all say yes, which is beautiful. Um, And so we invite you to actually uh, take a step in in living that out. Um, You know, since COVID hit, we've had a a slew of people that have jumped in in various roles to keep Sojourn Kids going. Uh, Andrea McCarty served as our interim kids director for a while. Uh, We had three coordinators, um, uh, Christy Lindstrom, Natalie Bailey, and Cassie Krause, that served us uh, for a season of time. Uh, Dave Lamb jumped in for a season of time. Tons of volunteers uh, over the course of this, and we thank you for that. In in January, we got a new kids director, Jen Anderson, uh, and she came on board. And since she's come on board, you know, she's been implementing some new ideas, and it's been working. Uh, Attendance is increasing. Uh, The last two Sundays, we've had 60 humans or more downstairs uh, each, each of the last two Sundays, and so uh, that's an exciting thing, but we need volunteers to sustain that. And so kids matter to God, kids matter to us, and uh, we want to serve them well. Uh, in the broader areas of serving, man, people matter to God, and people matter to us. And so we want to encourage you to consider uh, serving, jumping in somewhere. Uh, there is a very simple way to get the wheels moving. Uh, this website right here, sojourntravers.com volunteer, There's a little button that says volunteer interest form. If you click on that, it literally will take you 60 seconds to express the areas that you're interested in serving. 
And so you know, we need your help. Uh, some require more involvement, some require less. But by filling out this survey, we can get you information uh, about what, is, uh, what the role is that you're looking at. And if you say, hey, I don't even know, I'll just be a utility player, then check every single box and we will, we will let you know which of those boxes are most urgent, which will probably be sojourn kids. But click, just click, click all the boxes. We, that would help us too. And if you hate technology, then the Connect card in the chair back in front of you, you can put your information on there and say, I would like to serve in whichever ministry it is that you're interested in. Uh, take it to the welcome table after the service, and uh, that information will get to us. Um, you know, it might be a legitimate question to say, is it worth it? You know, it takes a lot of work to go to two services. It takes a lot of work to be on mission for God in the world. <clears throat> you know, is it worth it? Worth it? It's going to take a lot of effort. Um, there's a, a passage of scripture that over the last two years I have found incredibly encouraging, uh, and especially the way that it's translated in the message, the version of the Bible called the message. And it's from Psalm 116. And this is what the psalmist says. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. You you, you can't give anything back. That's not how it works. So this is what the psalmist says. I'll lift high the cup of salvation, a toast to God. I'll pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do, and I'll do it together with his people. And what I love about that text is the psalmist, he is not trying to earn anything is all the psalmist is doing is looking around and saying, look at what God's poured out on me. I, I, like, what, what, what can I give him back? No, you can't pay it back. That's not, that's not how it works. But what you can do is, is raise a glass. You, you can toast God. You, you can recognize his glorious generosity towards you, and you can get, get, about, get about his work and do it with his people. And so this is an invitation. It's, a, it's, it's, it's maybe a begging, but it's also an invitation uh, to help us as we, as we transition back uh, to two services. So, um, you know, the weather's getting warmer, at least for today. Uh, today. Um, but it's like, you know, just in our prayer time this morning, you know, I was praying like, God, would you, would you, as the weather gets warm, would you warm our hearts? Would you give us a vision again to see, to see people who are far from God find out who he is, that those who are disconnected to God would, would get, get connected to him, those who've fallen out of relationship with their church or their, 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 uh, their Christian community, uh, that these months ahead would be season, a season of time uh, where those things are, are restored. And so uh, thanks for uh, letting me uh, make a little pitch here, but we, it is important and we are quite excited about what sits in front of us. Okay, now I want to take the rest of our time, the last 15 minutes here, and turn our attention to that Romans chapter 6 passage and talk a little bit about baptism. So what, what is baptism? Well, it, first, it, it, it's a picture. It's a picture. And maybe you can even better say it this way. Baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol of a restored relationship with God through faith in Jesus. You know, one of the beautiful things about baptism is that baptism is a concrete tangible demonstration of what Jesus does when he rescues us from sin by grace through faith. Romans chapter 6 logically follows Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, the the author of this book, his name's Paul, he is just dropping bombs all the way through Romans chapter 5. He is declaring kind of the scandal of the gospel. He actually says that there's this problem of sin. And he says there's one man, the first Adam. And when Adam sinned, what happened with Adam's sin is that it infected the whole world. 
And that infection is so bad that it's reached every single person. That every single one of us has the infection of sin in our hearts. And what sin does is sin separates. The, the word death, death means to separate. That, that's the idea of it. And, and so we, we, we experience spiritual death when we experience sin. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, everybody's had that happen. When Adam sinned, sin flooded into the world. And everybody who's been born since struggles with that problem. And is all we have to do is take one second and look in the rearview mirror, and we know it's true. We, we know that, it's, it, that we struggle to live a, a, a life that's right, to, to do the right thing, to do things that are kind and honest, uh, to, to, to do the right thing. It's, it's a challenge that we face. But Paul does not stop there with the bad news. He says, sin's so bad, it's infected everything. And that infection has separated you from God. And that, it, 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 it's, it's really bad. But there was a second Adam. There's another person who showed up. And just as the first Adam brought sin to everyone, the second Adam actually brings redemption to everyone. He puts on the table this, this opportunity, this invitation to actually have that sin problem addressed. And that second Adam, we know him as Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life and then he went, on the went to the cross, and on that cross, it says he took all of our sin on his shoulders, and he paid the price for all that sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And so this sin problem that separates us from God is way too big for any of us to address. And Paul says, I've got good news. It is too big for you to address, but there's one who could address it. And he did. So some of our favorite ways to talk about this is that the gospel, the message of Jesus, tells us that our sin is so much worse than we think it is. We like to downplay our sin. We like to think less of our sin. It's not that big of a problem. No, the message of the gospel says our sin is way worse than we think it is. But it doesn't leave us there. It says as bad as that sin is, the gospel also tells us that we are far more loved than we could have ever dared to hope. Because the one who could fix it wanted to fix it at great cost to himself. He was cast out so that we could be brought in. So this is the message that, 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 that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5. And he's just declaring that if you put your faith in Jesus, then you're reconciled to God. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are restored to God. That he resolves this problem of your sin debt. Now what might, what might someone think? Oh, well if Jesus takes care of my sin problem, then I guess I can do anything I want. Jesus paid my debt, now that frees me to just live however I want to live. Well, Paul knows that that's a natural way to think. But Paul knows that it might be, you might think it's like a credit card, and if Jesus just pays the balance, I can use the credit card anytime I want. Paul knows that. And that's why Romans 6, in the first few verses, are so significant. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. He can, how can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so after Paul has declared the good news of the gospel... After he's declared this, this incredible reality that by placing our faith in Jesus, we are, made to, we, are, we are made alive. We are reconnected to God. He turns here in chapter 6 and he says, you've been baptized into Christ. And that changes everything. 
Not, not so that you can just go live any way you want, but you've been baptized into Christ in order to live a certain way. And so this word baptism, what, what, what is being referenced here, it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about being uh, baptized into Christ. And so this, this is a picture of, you know, the word baptism means to be immersed. That, that's what baptize means, to immerse. And Paul is saying that you've been immersed into Jesus, that you've been brought into Christ, that this good news of the gospel, this Christ's work on our behalf, it actually can reunite us with God because we are immersed into Jesus. We are part of him. So why do we baptize by dunking people underwater? You know, it's a little weird. And in a minute, we're gonna, I'm going to be in shorts and we're going to be in water back here, uh, waist deep, in front of everyone, and we're going to dunk three people all the way under the water. You know, why, why do we do that? Well, we do it because this symbol, this picture, it reflects the reality of what God has done and is doing in the life of one who has placed their trust in Jesus. Romans 6 is not about water baptism. It's about what happens when you place your faith in Jesus, that you've been immersed, you've been baptized into Christ. So the reason we baptize people in a big tub of water is because we think it's the best representation of what happens to a person when they put their faith in Christ. Maybe you are familiar with the fact that other churches and other denominations use other modes of baptism. Some churches sprinkle with water. Some churches pour with water. And our church is a church that does baptism by immersion. And you say, well, where did these ideas come from? You know, did, did, was there a water shortage? Like, you know, why, why, why do these other churches do this? Listen, all three of those, sprinkling, pouring, and immersion, they are all um, word pictures. They're all representations of, of, what, of, of Old Testament language. So there's a scenario in the Old Testament where there is the sprinkling of blood for the remission of sin. And so some churches have adopted this idea of, of sprinkling, this idea of uh, uh, using that, the sprinkling of the water as a good demonstration, a good picture of Jesus having uh, sprinkled us for the remission of sin, having taken our sin away. Uh, the idea of pouring. In the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, we are told that there's a day coming where God is going to pour out his spirit. And when he pours out his spirit, it's going to change everything. Well, that happens in the second chapter of the book of Acts. The Spirit shows up, and you know what happens? Like 3,000 people respond, and they get baptized. And the evidence seems to be that they get baptized by immersion, that they are immersed. And so you, 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 know, you, you can see this in, in whatever way, but in the passage with Joel, he says that it, the Spirit is poured out. And so some churches look at this and say, the pouring of the Spirit, that's the best way to picture baptism. We think that immersion is the best picture. In the Old Testament, there were there was ceremonial washing and there were uh, basins or, or tubs where they went in and were completely submerged. They were, they were washed. In chapter 6 here, you see Paul referring to being buried with Christ and being raised. And so what happens in this water behind me is that someone is going to stand in front of me and in front of you and we are going to lower them under the water and then bring them up. They're going to be reflecting this idea of being buried, having died with Christ, and then being raised, being, being, being brought to life. And so we think that immersion just, just brings this picture uh, to, to light. And then we also think that throughout the New Testament, it is the consistent pattern. 
that as you read about baptism throughout the New Testament, it, it is consistently in, in an environment where the, the person can be baptized, where they can be immersed. And so uh, that, that is why we do it. And then super quick, because this is controversial, but wh- why don't we baptize babies? So, so much could be said here. But for our purposes today, we believe that the clear pattern in the New Testament is confession of faith, then baptism. That throughout the New Testament, when someone hears who Jesus is and they respond to that message of hope, that message of the gospel by faith, then they're baptized. And so that, that is in, you know, in another way of thinking about that is that the one who's being baptized has understood the gospel, has responded to the gospel, to their need for a rescue, and the hope that Jesus offers. Uh, we, we don't think that it's possible for a baby to do that. And so we, we baptize uh, those who have confessed Christ. And as you're going to see today, there's not an age minimum. Uh, those, who, those who recognize who Christ is, those who recognize their need for a rescue, those who have turned their, in, in, in hope to Christ, uh, entering the waters of baptism is, is right and, and good. So it's, it's a picture. And then secondly, it's, it's a declaration. So the New Testament, it teaches us uh, about baptism. It reveals some of the meaning. It's beautiful. It's rich. It's a public declaration of what has happened to these individuals' hearts. Romans 6, it gives us this imagery of what Jesus does to us when he saves us, that we die with him, and then we are raised to walk in newness of life. We die, and we are raised again. Romans 6 is not talking about water baptism, but it does give us a good picture, a good evidence as to why we do what we do. Um, so we, we, uh, we, we buried with him, we're raised with him to walk in newness of life. So what are the declarations? First, when someone enters the waters of baptism, you are declaring your faith in Jesus. When you get baptized, you are publicly, you, you, you're saying, my hope is in Christ. One reason that our church does not practice spontaneous baptisms is because we want people to have time to flesh out their faith story. To, to be able to, to, to think through how it is that they came to know Christ, how, where it is that they have put their faith and their hope. Uh, we want people to, to share that statement, to share that news um, uh, clearly. And so it's a powerful, it's actually an ancient uh, practice where the people of God share their faith stories uh, as they enter the water of baptism. There's also a sense here in which obedience is tied to this. You're declaring your faith in Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you've put your trust in Jesus. It means that he gets to call the shots. It means that he's the Lord of your life. It means that you, uh, you declare publicly, you want to walk in his good way. Jesus in Matthew 28 tells us, here's, what, here's the mission. Go into the world, tell everybody about the gospel, tell everybody about Jesus, and then baptize them. So it's, it's commanded. Like Jesus says, you should get baptized. If you've put your faith in me, your first step of obedience is get in the water. Get, get in the water and declare your faith in me. In Jesus Christ, we have died to sin, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Do you get that? We've died to sin, and now we're raised to walk a certain way. That Jesus invites us into a life uh, that is new, a life that is guided by him. And so this declaration of your faith is committing to walk in God's good way. Second declaration is your, your faith family. The, the, the congregation is declaring their partnership. So when you get baptized, for example, here at Sojourn, 
your whole church cheers. You know, every Sunday that we have baptisms, you know, we spike the coffee with five-hour energy. You, you didn't know this, but it is. It, no, we, we think it's a party, and we think we should celebrate. And as these individuals come up out of the water, we invite you to, to celebrate that reality, to cheer for them, to clap. Uh, this, is, this is good news, and it's one of the ways that the spiritual family, the, 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 the faith family, responds. We're saying, we will encourage you. We will equip you. We will walk with you. We will admonish you. We're here for you. We're, we're, we're in it with you. You know, this is not you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and his people. And this public baptism, the public nature of baptism, acknowledges it and celebrates it and invites it, that this is a partnership, that we're in covenant together, that this is a family. So there's the declaration of the individual declaring their trust in Jesus. There's the church declaring their partnership with that individual. But there's a third declaration. And that third declaration is God declaring that you're his child. And I love this one. And there's something about it that can't quite be defined, I don't think. There's something supernatural about this. There's something amazing when someone enters the waters of baptism. As you enter the water of baptism, God is saying, you're in the family. You know, when, when Jesus got baptized, Jesus comes out of the water and a, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've put your hope in Christ, now you're in Christ and everything that's true of Christ is true of you. And so as God says to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, now he looks at you and he says, this is my son or this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Like you're part of the family. You're in. This is God declaring that in a public and beautiful way. God says the same thing about you. So in a minute, we're going to sing a song here, and I'm going to try to change really fast. And then we're going to have, we're going to have three baptisms, and three young individuals are going to come in the water, and, and they're going to share their faith stories, and uh, none of them have been in a biker gang. Um, and so their, their, their faith stories are going to be relatively short, but they're short, and they're beautiful, and they're something that we can, we can recognize and celebrate. And, you know, in, in the Old Testament, there is this incredible picture you know, sometimes we think adult conversions, man, people who've had a really hard life or who have really run far from God, and then they've seen the beauty of the gospel, and as a 42-year-old, they come to faith and they trust Jesus, and we like celebrate those stories. We celebrate the, the, the biker gang stories. We love those, and we should, because that is a beautiful picture of one coming to, to life in Christ. But in the Old Testament, God actually lays out a little bit of a roadmap, and you know what he says? He says, here's, here's what I would love to see. I would love to see parents who, who have put their trust in me actually from day one tell their kids all about it so that from day one, their kids are hearing the truest true, the, the best news in the whole wide world. Like they hear it from the first minute. Some in this room had that gift. Some of us didn't. That, that, that's, that's part of the story of the world. But as these three children enter the waters of baptism, I want you to look at it from that perspective, this recognition, this, this joyfulness that God in his grace has put these children in homes where from day one, they, they, they've heard about the gospel. They've heard about the good news of Jesus. They have responded to that good news. And now on, on this Sunday, April 24th, they stand before you, their faith family, and they declare that, that faith. And so we're glad you're here for it. If you have never been baptized, 
If you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized, we're going to have another baptism on June 5th. And if you would like to get baptized, you can either email or call the church office. That information's in the bulletin. Or you can stop by the welcome table. Give them your name and number, and, uh, and we will get in touch with you. And over the next couple weeks, uh, we'll, 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 we'll figure out if this can work. And we'd love, uh, we'd love for this thing to be wet all the time. We would love to be having baptisms all the time. We think it's an incredible uh, opportunity for these declarations to be put on display. Uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your work in the person of Christ. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, that as bad as the sin problem is, Christ's person and his work, it's better. He actually has the solution, has the resolution for our relationship with you. So God, we thank you for this picture of, being, uh, of having died to sin and then being raised through Christ to walk in newness of life. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for these individuals who are going to enter the water now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.